Good morning, Lifehouse family. How's everyone doing today? So good to see everybody today, man. It is finally spring. Spring has sprung, that old woman winter, or old man winter, whatever it is, man, woman, gender neutral, right? It's like they're, they're gone, uh, hope, hopefully so. So we will uh, see uh, if this sticks. Apparently it's supposed to be severe weather tonight, just a heads up. That is your forecast for today. You're welcome. Uh, check it out. It could be severe storms later, so just, just a heads up. My wife is a weather like, she is a weather woman, man. She cares about that so much. So I, I know every day walking out what I know the weather's gonna, is going to be, whether I need to wear something or, or whatever. So today's going to be a great day. If you are a first-time guest here, one more time, we just wanted to welcome you. Can we just give it up for all of our first-time guests that are with us today? If it is your first time here, you are our VIP, and we just want to say welcome Come back, check us out a couple times, and uh, man, we have a great family here. We have a great church, church family that really, truly, and sincerely loves people, and so come back out, check us out. Today, we are continuing a sermon series called Divine Direction, asking the question, what is God's will? I'm, I'm sure none of you have asked that question. Uh, what is God's will for my life? We've probably all been there. Like, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to marry? Who, where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to live? And we ask God all of these uh, questions, and, and, we're, and we think they're so important. But what we saw last, last week and kind of the big idea from, from last week's message was that God cares so much more about who you are becoming than what you are doing. And so what is important to God is that important to us? Because typically what is important to us isn't on God's first priority list. We are always about the what. God is always about the who, right? God is more concerned. I mean, you can ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to work? But if you are a hateful, unforgiving person, God's will for you, first off, is to receive his forgiveness. It really isn't where you should work, what you should do, date, marry, whatever. His will for you, first off, is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, right? So we've always got to say, God, what direction is going to make me more and more like you first, um, now, I, I don't know if you've seen, seen this, but um, we are a blessed nation. Uh, we, we are an extremely blessed nation. It, it cracks me up whenever people say, God bless uh, America, because he already has. Okay? Um, and I mean, we live in a free country. We can actually come in a theater and worship God. Um, you know, we... You know, we just think about this here, right? Um, the United States is 6% of the world's population, but we consume over 40% of its resources. 8% of, of the people in this whole world own a car. So if you're in that 8%, I don't care what kind of car you have. I don't care if it's an 82, 80, 81, what? If, if you have a car... 92% of the world doesn't have one. Do you know that there's 1 billion people in this world today that do not have access to clean drinking water? 800 million people today will not eat. 300, 300 
million of them are kids. Uh, one billion people today live on less than one dollar a day. So I don't know if, if you've got a dollar in your pocket. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. Whenever you hear stats like that, we kind of all feel bad, right? Like, man, it's terrible for them. You know, and, and, and really what that can do is it can kind of just like well up in us just a feeling of like, man, that is really, really bad. Like, man, like, like what can we do to help solve this? What can we do, right? So, so it's like today, whenever you are checking out, looking at what is the divine direction that God is calling me to be, not just what, it, what God is calling me to do, but who God is calling me to actually be, what I see in scripture is kind of this whole theme of gener- of generosity of that we serve a god that is extremely generous I'm, i mean generous giving and, and but really if you look at in this country the culture that we live in i think that we would all agree to some sort way idea that we live in a consumeristic culture I mean, consumeristic, like we, we, are, we are consumed with consuming. We are consumed with consuming. Like we are just always convinced that what we have is not good enough. Marketing, the whole point of marketing is to literally make you feel like you, you're, you're missing out. FOMO. If you don't, if, if it's FOMO, FOMO is an actual thing. YOLO, y'all have heard YOLO. You only live once. FOMO is fear of missing out. Marketing is always pushing you. Some of y'all are like, oh, I learned something at church today. If you don't get nothing from this whole sermon, you know what FOMO is now, okay? You're welcome. We are culturally relevant here at LifeHouse. I want you to know what all those teenagers are talking about. But our whole marketing, our whole world system is literally based to make you feel like what you have is not good enough. Why? Because if they make you feel that way, what do they get? Your money and your time. So it's consistently pushing. Even though stats, stats that we just, just heard, we've got access to food. Every day, we can drive up to somewhere, give money, they give it us, us out of a window. We've got access to clean drinking water. We all live on more than $1 per day. Like all of these things that the whole world would look at us and, and, and we in, in our minds, most of us here, if you're honest, think you don't have enough. You don't, you don't got the good life. You're struggling. You're barely, you're barely making it to 92, 93, 94% of the whole world. We're rich. Like we are rich. We have to, to get this. Our world is not the world. We have to always understand our world is not the world. And we have to know we are in a cultural place that is trying to push us towards this whole idea of being consumers. Because if we just consume, they get our money, they get our time. Like It's like we have this battle of a culture that says consume, get, get, get. But really we serve a God who says give, give, give. So I don't know about you, but I just feel this like battle going on. I'm in a culture of, you need more shoes. You need more shirts. John, this vest, you bought this four years ago. (laughs) You bought this four years ago. You need a new one. Why? Because Forever 21, they have better ones. 
and they're having a sale today. And actually, they haven't having a sale today, but then if I purchase over $200 on their credit card, they'll give me an extra 50% off along with the 20% coupon. But they, I mean, it's like, it's all geared towards get, 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 get. But God calls us, if we're moving in the divine direction of moving towards who more of who God is, it's not get, 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 it's give, give, give. So how do we battle? How do we fight this cultural pressure? to consume with this God-ordained command to give. It's a battle. And I think God has given us a tool to fight this battle, and it is this tool of generosity. You know, I think Jesus knew what he was talking about a little bit. So Jesus, dude, fellow, guy, Jesus, Jesus guy, I think he kind of anticipated that we would have this struggle. Because we, we see this, check, check this out. In Jesus' teaching, 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of 10 verses deal directly with money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer. This is awesome. 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money and stuff. And the crazy thing is, is that Christianity has tried to buddy-buddy, has tried to take consumerism and, and Christianity and tried to buddy them up. And have said insane things like, serve God and you'll get rich. Because we're, we're trying to get people on board with following Christ. So we're like, yo, people going to follow Jesus in this culture. we got to add something to the gospel. So we've even added names to it. Prosperity gospel. Like, we've added things onto the good news of Jesus Christ. Like the gospel needed something added. The poor gospel, it's like, oh, you just want to give everything away. and just, just be dirt poor, and that's what makes you holy. That's what makes you closer to God. Or it's, you get more stuff, then God loves you more. When we start adding things to the gospel, it's, it's a false gospel. The gospel doesn't need help. Jesus dying on the cross in our place and for our sins is enough. We don't have to try to convince people to jump on board. If you follow Jesus, then you'll get rich. Up, oh, you know, you got to become dirt poor. Then Jesus will love you more. No, uh-uh. No, here, here's the thing. We have to understand the gospel can stand alone by itself. We don't need to try to add on to it to try to get people to, to try to follow Jesus. But that's what we have seen in in this culture, we have consumerism trying to buddy-buddy with Christianity. And what we have is this whole, I know so many people, they started to follow God because, well, if I follow God, he'll, he'll, he'll give me a good-looking wife. If I follow God, he'll give me a nice car, he'll give me a Benz, he'll give me a house. And what they end up doing is whenever God doesn't actually give them those things, they curse God. I've seen so many people do that. Why? Because they put their faith not in the gospel. They put their faith in a version of the gospel. That, that it, it was on their terms instead of on his terms. And we can't follow God on our terms. we got to follow him on his terms, and that is the gospel. Christianity cannot buddy-buddy with this whole consumerism thing. And what we see in Scripture history, we always see where there is material blessing. Where there is physical abundance, unfortunately, the gospel typically spoils. Why? 
Because we end up putting our faith, our trust, our security, and our hope in, our, in the stuff instead of the source of our stuff. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, man. It was this cycle. And here's the thing. Reading the Old Testament, I know it can be like this weird, like, what in the world? Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and all these crazy stories in the, in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament as basically... Israel being us personally, it makes a whole lot of sense. Because Israel went on this cycle. They would serve God. God would bless them. Then they would get arrogant. Oh, oh yeah, all we've got is because of us, not because of him. And then, and then God, discipline would have to come. You know, neighboring nations, they would have to come and tear Israel down, and, it would, and, the, and, and, and then they'd be like, oh man, maybe we, we weren't that, that actually strong, and then they'd put their faith back in God. It was this whole cycle all throughout the Old Testament, but isn't that us? That's the story of us. We get going, we're good, I God, thanks, thanks for the help, thanks for the start, I got it now, thank, thank, thank you. But then we realize what we thought was so important, is, and then we have to get come down, discipline, put our faith back, and I mean, but what we see is where there is physical and material abundance, the gospel has a tendency to spoil. Why? Because it's not prioritized. And our cultural, our, our cultural occupational hazard, I don't know what else she really calls it, our hazard with Christianity is we have so much stuff that we could take the gospel and let it spoil because we put more faith, trust, hope, and security in our stuff instead of the source of our stuff. But let me tell you this, there is a, there is in a, a way in scripture that helps us ultimately with our lives and with, with that helps us treasure Christ, and that is generosity. I want to to check out really, really quick a few scriptures that Jesus said about money about possessions, about stuff. Matthew six nineteen through through 21. Actually, Laurent, do you have? Never mind, that, that, that's it. Uh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on, treasures on earth where moths and, what the heck's a vermin? Can anyone tell me what the heck vermin is? Huh? Rats, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I just heard vermin and I'm like, what is vermin? I'm sorry, I guess I should check the translations better. Where moth and rats destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go down to verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. This is powerful. Jesus said this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that crazy? Like, but we try to mesh money and God together, thinking they're joined in the same bed now. Like, the, there, there's been this awesome marriage between God and money. Serve God and you'll get both. No, you can't serve one or the other. You've got to choose one. And Jesus said, for where your heart is, there's so many times in Scripture, Jesus went up to somebody who was really, really wealthy, and, and he was like, hey, you know, and, and, and there, there is this picture of this actual one guy that, that came up to him and said, Jesus, I've, all the commandments that you've given, I've done those. What one thing do I lack? And Jesus told him, go and sell all your stuff. Be generous with your stuff and then come and follow me. And he said he walked away because he was rich and he didn't want to give up his stuff. 
to follow him. Why? He was putting his faith, trust, hope, security in what he had more than he did in wanting to follow Jesus. Go down here. And then right after Jesus speaks about money, he then goes on to talk about worrying. Don't those two things go together? Oh, I get some amens from that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Y'all like money and worry? Yes. Why? Because those two things go directly together. What is 90% of our worries centered around? Money. Am I going to have enough? Am I Am I going to have enough to pay my bills? Am I going to have enough to retire on? Am I going to have enough to pay for college? No, you're not. Okay, just stop saving for college. Take the money. Put it in somewhere else. I'm teaching my kids two words right right now. It's called college loans. If you want to have to. It's called student loans, son. Write that word out right now. Student loans. Or get a good education and pay for your own college. Because probably by the time you get to college, it's going to be like $90,000 for one year. Forget that. I'm, I'm just kidding. College, college is important. Go to college. I'm just, uh, anyway. But, like, but it's just like our worries center around money. And what does, honestly, worry do? Like people have like worry, 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 anxiety, all of this stuff. If you were to boil worry down into, in, into you only worry about how can I put, put this? You, what you put your faith in, if what you put your faith in you are sh- shakes you or you don't have trust in it, what do you do? You worry. If what you put faith in, you don't trust it to take care of you, what do you end up doing? You worry. So when people put their faith and trust, security, and hope in what they have in their money and possessions, what does that breed? It breeds worry. Don't know if you're going to have enough because you... You're trusting that as your source. But if you put your faith, hope, trust in God, why do you worry? Why do we worry? Check this out. Jesus said this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, reap, sto- they do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than, than they? Can any of you? Some of y'all just need to hear this today. This is why you came. Can any of you, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Go on. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like, like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you or you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What would change in your life if you stopped worrying about money? But some are like, how do I do that? I mean, I mean, honestly, like, that's a great idea, a great picture, but how does that actually work itself out? Practically, I want to help you help myself. The thing about preaching is that with the illusion that it can give is that I do all of this well. And many times I preach what I'm not good at. And when I preach, I'm preaching to myself. I'm like, I need to hear what I'm saying. I need to slay myself in the spirit. I need to pray for me. Like, I need this. You know, so, so, so let it never be I'm all good and I'm all good at this stuff and what I say to you, you just need to do better and, and all this stuff. What I'm saying, I'm saying to me too. 
So this is not preaching at you. This is, I don't know, me preaching at myself mostly, and y'all can hear it. Okay? Because, like, I'm not good at this either. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm trying to get my faith, not in what I have or the stuff or bank accounts and, and stuff. But I'm trying to get my faith in the one that ultimately matters. But there are some keys that I kind of found in this idea of generosity that I think can honestly and sincerely help you help and help myself hopefully move in the divine direction of basing our choices on being more generous than being more of a consumer. Because if you're going to make choices in how you live in, in, in saying, I want to move in the divine direction, not of a what, but of a who, and God is the who, and, and, and basically you say, how do I become more generous like him? There are some keys. But we have to see, first off, generosity starts with God. This whole idea, God created, and he gave Adam and Eve, the, I mean, he gave them the whole garden. He was generous. I'm, I mean, they didn't even have to wear clothes. Like, that's being generous. That's awesome. No clothes, eat whatever you want, but there's going to be one that's just mine. Just, just, just look. And what, and what God was actually doing through that is, is saying, look, there's going to be, like, there you have an authority. Freedom is being free under the authority of somebody greater than, than, than you. And so he put Adam and Eve there free to, to eat. But here's the thing. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, Scripture tells us this, he clothed them. Even when they could deliberately disobeyed him, God was still generous to them and clothed them. We see throughout Scripture, man, that for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. And what does that Scripture talk about? It talks about ultimately that God gave his son to die in our place for our sins. If you don't think God is generous, you need to look no further than the gospel. You had a sin debt that you could not pay. You could not do anything, give enough money, do enough good works to earn the fact of, 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 of getting a right relationship with God. That was nothing you could earn on your own. And so what did, did God do? In his generosity, he sent his son to come and live a perfect sinless life that you could not live and die in your place, die the death that you should have died. But you know what? He didn't stay there. He rose from the death and he overcame Satan, sin, and death death and what he does he freely gives you life by grace meaning you can't earn it through faith meaning you put your trust in him and so if you're ever like is God generous are you kidding me there was a debt you couldn't pay and he paid it for you you never have to question the character and nature of who God is because the most important thing to him is relationship. And he paid the debt that, that you could not pay by paying the sin debt and having now the opportunity for us to have a right relationship with him. God is a generous God. So, and any, so with me encouraging you and saying let's be generous people, it's not to earn anything. We've got to get that out. We are generous because the God we serve is generous. It's, it, our, our generosity is in response to God's generosity. It's not to earn anything. Generosity has got to begin with God. But also, generosity. We're going to start with this here. You can't be generous if you're not content. It's hard to be generous if you're not content. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. 
if you throw that out there. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Timothy, or Paul here is, is speaking to one of his pastoral mentees. He's training up Timothy. It's kind of like his spiritual son. And he's trying to encourage him and strengthen him. And this was actually a letter that Paul wrote to his pastoral mentee, encouraging him about different things. And Paul said this. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. You know that? You ain't bring a daggone thing. Just to let you know. And we can take nothing out of it. You can't hook a U-Haul to a hearse and take that joint and have them things thrown in there with you. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and have a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. A few observations here. One, he never says that, you know, that, that you having money is evil. Okay? Money in and of itself is not evil. In the same way, many things in and of themselves are not evil. Just because something can be a does not make that thing good or bad. It's how you take it and use it. But what I love here is he uses this word content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why can't you be generous if you are not content? Because if you are not content, you're always wanting more. And always wanting more means you're what? A consumer. So you are always going to be striving to get more, attain more, all of your decisions will be based on, oh, this job pays me this much money. This must be God's will. Yeah, but you're going to be working 80 hours a week, stressed out, never seeing your family, never seeing your kids grow up. Yeah, that might be a great idea to have all of this money. Yeah, but at the same time, is it going to move you in the direction of being a who? And the who is being more generous. Contentment is really, really knowing the difference between wants and needs. See, we've turned wants into needs in this society, right? Like we, you know, honestly what we need is kind of like food and clothing and like uh, a house, a car. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I remember walking into Kids R Us for the first time with my first son Jackson. Literally, I remember walking in, in there, and I remember being like, oh, my lordy God, we need all of this to raise a kid? I need heated wipes to put on my kid's butt to wipe? Like, I need that, like, just this whole store of stuff that I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, is this what I have to put on a registry? Do I have to go and scan all of this stuff? Like, are you serious? But then after you raise the first one, let me tell you what you need to raise a kid. A little bit of food, some diapers. I heard someone say prayer. <laughs> it's on the spiritual end, but you need food, diapers, a car seat, and a crib. Yeah, maybe some clothes. You got diapers. You you should go. They they run around naked all the time anyway. So, but really, when when you break it down, all of these crazy things that you think you absolutely need is really boiled down to a few to or the, the, that are once are boiled down mainly to to just a few needs. 
I don't think you can be a generous person if you're not content with knowing what you actually need and being content with that and knowing, hey, you know what? If I'm going to be generous, if I'm going to become more like, like God, there's probably going to be some wants that I'm going to have to sacrifice in order to become and move in the divine direction of being more like who God is. Be careful of making a want a need. Because honestly, in that process, what you'll do is you'll, in many, many ways, sacrifice the opportunities that you have to be generous and be God's hands and be God's feet. And really, you know, I see a theme in Scripture here of, 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 of this whole idea of food and clothing. Be content. Live, simplify living. But at the same time, though, stewardship leads to generosity. Proper stewardship leads to generosity. What do, what do I actually mean by that? I believe many of us have a good intent to want to be generous, but not many of us are actually positioned to be generous because we've got a crazy amount of debt. We've got, you know, you're, you're working crazy jobs, hours. You've got all of these things. And some of you have a desire to be extremely generous, but your intent doesn't match, match your position. And really, sometimes what it actually takes is you practicing biblical stewardship to position yourself to be in a place where you can be generous. Stewardship is pretty much this. You don't own a daggone thing. In church, we've, we've, we've taught this many times. You give God 10%, you keep 90. It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, all, all God wants is 10, 10%. How dare you not give him that? And you can keep 90. You know what, but we're not going to look through Scripture. What I see is 100% of it is God's. 90% is not ours and 10% is his. 100% of it is his. A steward simply means this. You don't own nothing. You are managing what has been entrusted to you by the person that has given it to you. You don't own nothing. So we need to stop saying we own this, we have this, it's mine, 10% God, 90% is mine, 100% of it is his. And you have simply been entrusted by God with your time, your talent, and treasure. And what the question needs to be then, how am I going to invest? That's the key word. Not spend, invest. How am I going to invest the time, the talent, and treasure that God has given me to see the biggest benefit, to see the biggest return on what I've been entrusted with that benefits the one that entrusted it to me so he can reap the biggest return? There's a mindset change here. Whenever you get your hands off of what's God's and you realize you are not, you are a conduit you are not the, the source. You are not the only stopping point. I call this open-handed living, where you do this. You leave your hand open, and God can put into it whatever he wants, right? God can put into it whatever he wants. But the moment you go like that, you know, you know what you do? Yep, you've got yours. But God can't put nothing else in there because your hand's closed. It's mine. I own it. I spend what I want it on for my enjoyment, for my pleasure, for my good. But whenever you have open-handed living, God can put in, and you're free to give out. But as you're free to give out, what also happens is there, there's more that can be dropped in there. And you are simply put in. Here you go. 
put in. Here you go, put in. Here you go. And so you live with this open-handed mindset, but being generous begins with being a good steward. You're not an owner. You are a steward. You have been entrusted with time, talent, and treasure that God has so generously given you. Also, though, lastly, um, what I have seen, generosity, yes, um, begins with contentment. Proper stewardship leads to generosity. But also, too, uh, gen- generosity, since we live in this kind, of, this kind of combatant culture of consume, 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 we need to actually be intentional about generosity. Where um, you almost got to be proactive instead of reactive, right? Because I think many of us are more reactive, generous people. I feel a need. Okay. Well, you know, I've, okay, nine, you know, 100 or 1 billion people don't have good water. Here, here's 20. Hope someone gets some water. Am I in trouble? Oh, I think she's telling me it's 10.07. It's 10.07? Oh, my God. Okay. You're going to have to wrap this thing up here. <laughs> Mike, get up here <laughs> so I can close. Um, why, why wasn't there a clock here? I'm just going, thinking we only got one service. I'm, lo- I'm loving this. <laughs> we got one service, no, no more, y'all. Um, but generosity needs to be intentional. You, you know, and, and one of the things that God gives us the ability to do is to say, you know what, why, why don't we set aside a portion of what God gives us? Income, whatever income comes in, and say, I'm gonna be intentional about giving this away. And I'm gonna combat this consumeristic mentality, and I'm gonna be intentional and proactive instead of reactive in saying that I am going to not just give in to this cultural norm of being a consumer. I'm going to fight that, and I'm going to say, I'm going to be proactive and say, I'm going to give away a portion of my income so I won't be susceptible to this consumeristic mentality. Oh, I see what you're doing now, John. You just want to give money to the the church. I see you set this message up. Listen, we have a no beat-down policy here. We want you to give generously. We want you to give not out, of, not out of duty, but out of delight. Not out of obligation, but as an opportunity. It, it isn't just about Lifehouse. If there's a cause that you're passionate for, whether it's water or, or whether it's human trafficking, if you have some other cause, man, give towards that. But here's the thing. Be proactive with your generosity. Don't be reactive. Yes, if you call Lifehouse Home, we want to encourage you to invest in what God's, we're seeing like God change lives here. And we want you to have the opportunity to join in and partner with what God is doing here, definitely. But at the same time, it can't just stop here. Because generosity isn't just a one-time event, it's a lifestyle. And so I want to challenge you today in response to God's generosity to us, I want to challenge you to be content. I want to challenge you to practice proper stewardship, knowing that it is not yours. It's his, and you're a steward of it. But also, I want to challenge you to get intentional with your generosity. I know what you'll say. John, I ain't rich. Like, I'm barely scraping by. Start with 1%. 
a half percent. Give up a couple Starbucks drinks daily. It, be intentional. Fight this cultural just whatever of being a consumer. Because the purpose of, of generosity is to shout to the world, we treasure Christ over everything. This world is not our home. We're simply passing through. We're going to take all the time and talent and treasure that God has blessed individually, God has blessed us corporately with, and we're going to use it to glorify the one that has entrusted us with it. And what if the church of Jesus Christ stepped out and did that? It would show the world we treasure Christ and we're about his mission over our comfort and our safety and our security. And we would see Jesus Christ glorified. Stand up, church. God, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for what you have spoken to us. God, I pray for every heart, mind, soul here, God. I pray right now that you'd open up their hearts to have a heart of generosity in response to your generosity. Holy Spirit, minister right now. Take the words spoken and speak to minds. God, free mindsets, free hearts. God, by the power of your word. Really, really, really quick. We do this every single week. We want to, we, we, we want to simply give you the opportunity. If you've never made a decision like we talked about earlier, where we talked about the gospel and Jesus paying our sin debt, a, a debt that we could not pay by dying on the cross in our place and for our sins. If you would say, John, I've never made, I've never said yes to Jesus to receive that debt payment that Jesus paid for me. And you would say, John, today I want to make that decision to say yes to Jesus and follow him and, and have my sin paid for in a restored relationship with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, John, that is me. I want to receive that today and say yes to Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you simply would, I'm going to count to you two, three. Just take your right hand, put it up. I just want to know who you are so I can actually pray for you. And we're just going to pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you, but, but we want to pray with you and for you to receive Christ today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ready? If you say you want to receive Christ, lift up hands. Ready? One, two, three. Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? We're going to pray, church. We're going to pray, pray, pray. Uh, um, we're going to pray with those that raised their hand today to receive Christ. If everybody could here, join in and praying and praying with those. Ready? Everyone say this. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. I give you my life. I accept your sin payment because of me. I give you my life. I commit to following you. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Lifehouse fam, can we just give it up for those that received Christ today?